Hello. Good morning, church. Good morning, everyone. Right. I must have done well the first time. I've been asked back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, just an observation. Have you, have, you, have you noticed how many Ians there are in the Bible? I was really blessed by it. Anybody notice? No. Well, there's... How many? Yeah. No. Well, there's Galatians. There's Colossians. There's Ephesians. It's brilliant. <laughs> sorry. Oh, no, that's a bit corny. Right, sorry, this is going to be fairly um, uh, note-led this morning. But here we go. I want to talk about the, the Galilean wedding. Yeah. It is, it is in the Bible. Jesus talks about it a lot, but we don't realise. So, Galileans, they had, in fact, just before I carry on, if you remember, uh, the, uh, most of the disciples, I think all of the disciples were Galileans. So that's what Jesus used to talk about, parables and everyday language. And it, it was all to do with what happened in Galilee. So, anyway, Galileans had some unique customs. And Jesus used customs and everyday events to explain spiritual things. Researchers have uncovered the mystery of the Galilean wedding. Finding customs that would unfold over an entire year, revealing a chronological sequence of events that perfectly aligns with the recorded biblical prophecies of the return of Jesus. Betrothal. Right. The term betrothal, the agreement of a man and a woman to marry, by which the parties are not, however, definitely bound, but which may be broken or dissolved without formal divorce. That's, I just thought I'd throw that in, because I wasn't sure what betrothal meant. Anyway, betrothal was a hugely important event in Galilee. The bridegroom and the bride, with their families, would get as close to the main gate of the village as possible, where the elders sat. A lot went on before they got to that stage. They had to get together. They had to prepare um, a covenant to be signed. There was, there was a lot of preparation before the betrothal and before they actually got to the, the, uh, the town gates. But that was where the, the elders sat. They, they needed them to agree to and to witness this, uh, this covenant. So people would come from all over the village to check this out, which was an important which was important as witnesses are required to approve and confirm the covenant, as I've just said. So the requirements for a betrothal. One, a written proposal, a written covenant that the bride accepts. The agreement, the agreement of union between two families was publicly read. Now, if you imagine, a lot of these people didn't actually, couldn't actually read and write, so they, actually, they usually had to get a scribe to do all this for them. Apparently, I was hearing this morning, as I was listening to something else on, on the subject, that um, they had to have two copies, and it had to be read out one, af one after the other to make sure that it was exactly the same before they actually yeah, got as far as uh, the town gates. Two, gifts are exchanged. The bride gets the most extravagant. Three, there's a dowry. Unlike surrounding Middle Eastern cultures, this wasn't a payment for the bride, but an insurance policy for her, ensuring she would be financially supported in the event of anything happening to the bridegroom. So there was prote 
this dowry was protection, provision and care. Yeah, protection, provision and care on display, not ownership. And I said, does this speak of the Holy Spirit prophetically? Sent to care for us and support us until Jesus returns. Four, the big moment. The bridegroom is handed a pitcher of wine and he pours wine into a ceremonial cup to be offered to his bride-to-be. This was called the cup of joy. With both hands, he reverently, respectfully and fearfully passes it to the bride. Unlike surrounding cultures, the bride was in control and had the final say on whether the marriage goes ahead. She has the choice to accept or reject the cup. So to accept or reject the proposal of marriage. Betrothal could not be complete without her willingness to drink from the cup of wine. If she pushed the cup back, it was a no. If she drank from the cup, it was a yes. If yes, the cup is passed back to the bridegroom and he then also drinks, solidifying the new covenant. But then he says these amazing words publicly. You are now consecrated to me by the laws of Moses, and I will not drink of this cup again until I drink it anew with you in my father's house. Mm. I think you might have heard that somewhere before. Yeah, at this point they're effectively married, bound by this covenant, just not yet joined physically. Yeah, you could read something into that as well, couldn't you? Yeah. <laughs> Prophetically. Right, this is very similar to the words spoken by Jesus at the Last Supper. Nick, can you put up Matthew 26 verses? Well, let's start with 26. No, I'll read from here, because I'll be... On and, on and off with my glasses, <laughs> otherwise. Now I've got the NIV, so it's slightly different. While they were eating, Jesus took bread, and when they had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to his disciples, saying, Take and eat, this is my body. Then he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many for the forgiveness of sins. I tell you, I will not drink of this, from this fruit of the vine from now, from now on until that day when I drink it new with you in my Father's kingdom. So actually, what Jesus was talking about was about marriage, wasn't it? About a betrothal. And that betrothal being being consecrated it's just yeah I, I just found it incredible anyway I hope, I hope you do yeah, so the disciples all Galileans would have understood the reference to the betrothal during this last meal they had with Jesus before he was betrayed culturally they ate from the same piece of bread and drank from the same cup communion common union what's in me well, sorry, what's, yeah, what's in you is in me. What's in me is in you. They shared, they shared everything around the table. No longer two, but one. The promise. We're going to be 
together again. And we're going to mark it with the drinking of wine. New union, new promise. Interesting thought, isn't it? That it's at a wedding that Jesus performs his first miracle when he changes water into wine. Yeah, is God reinforcing the truth very early on here? Next is a year-long journey to prepare for the wedding feast. There's, yeah, it, it took a year then for the father and the, and the, and the groom to actually make all the uh, preparations. So the bride and the groom part and live separately until the day of the wedding feast. The groom is now responsible for all preparations until he's reunited with his bride. Galilean culture meant it was usual to build a room onto the groom's father's house. Most times, the room was for sleeping as they were outdoors most of the day. The bridegroom spent the year acquiring materials for the room and furnishings and built a space to bring his bride to. Yeah. In my father's house, there are many rooms. John 14, 2 to 4, please, Nick. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place. For Sorry, I'll, I'll, I'll read that again. If it, would, if it were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and welcome you into my presence so that you are also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I am going. That's what it says in the NIV. In the New King James, I think, as you just read. And where I go now, and where I go, you know. And the way you know. And who's the way? Jesus is the way, isn't he? Way, the truth, and the life. The bride's job, we're the bride, the church, was to prepare for the hour the groom will return. She acquired material for her dress, and bridal party outfits. This could take time depending on when the merchants would bring what was needed. She was to remain pure and vigilant in waiting. When the year is up, everything is ready. The feast is prepared, but the bridegroom can't just go and get his bride. It's the father that decides the day and the hour his son can go and fetch his bride. I think that's incredible, isn't it? That's, that's, the, yeah, that's the custom for Galilean weddings. The father decides the day and the hour his son can go and fetch the bride. Only the father knows the hour. And the hour would be at night usually to ensure the element of surprise. Jesus explained to his disciples the day and the hour unknown of his return. Matthew 24, please, Nick. 36 to 44. But about that day or hour, no one knows. Not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only the Father. As it was in the days of Noah, so it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. For in the days before the flood, 
people were eating and drinking, marrying and giving in marriage. Up to the day Noah entered the ark, and they knew nothing about what would happen until the flood came and took them all away. That is how it will be at the coming of the Son of Man. Two men will be in a field. One will be taken and the other left. Two women will be grinding with a handmill. One will be taken and the other left. Therefore, keep watch, because you do not know on what day your Lord will come. But understand this. If the owner of the house had, not kno- had known at what t- time of night the seat... The th- that the thief was coming, he would have kept watch and he would not have let his house be broken into. So you must be ready because the Son of Man will come at an hour when you do not expect him. Now apparently, the Galilean brides used to sleep in their wedding dresses with the oil lamps trimmed as the bridegroom would come like a thief in the night. Yeah, that's reminiscent of the parable of the ten virgins, isn't it? Now, at the time of his choosing, the father would go, would say, go and get your bride. The bridegroom would blow the shofar, wake up the, wi- wake, wake up the village, wedding guests, and the bride and her family. Behold, the bridegroom cometh. He and the bridal party would go through the streets with, with guests, joining the procession. The vigilant bride would be ready and waiting when the groom arrived. Now I think the shofar speaks of the trumpet of the Lord's return. And this next bit, it's, wow. <laughs> now, there was a chair, there's a chair called the litter that was used. The bride wouldn't walk to the father's house, but she'd be carried lifted into the air. Ancient Galileans referred to this moment as flying the bride to the father's house. Wow. That's, that's the rapture, isn't it? It's, it's just so obvious. And this is, the, yeah, the, um, the disciples would have been so, yeah, they would have understood all of this. And unless you're told this, you, you don't know, do you? And it's just what... When it was first shared to me, I was like, hairs on the back of the neck go up. Because it's just, (laughs) yeah, flying the bride to the father's house. Wow. So she's escorted with, with him back to that place of preparation. It's not her effort. This is believed to represent God's grace. She just has to be ready for the bridegroom. When they arrived at the father's house for the wedding feast, all who were prepared and heard the call in the darkness of night would be welcomed in. This is a picture of the marriage supper of the Lamb in Revelation. If you wanted to look it up, it's in Revelation 19, 7-9. Only, only those invited to the feast who were ready could quickly rise and join the wedding procession who made it inside. The doors were shut for seven days and seven nights. No one comes in or out. In ancient Galilee, if you were locked out of the wedding feast, there was no getting in. Can you put 1 Thessalonians 4, 16, up please now, 16, 17 and 18.
for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a loud command, with the voice of an archangel, and with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will be the first to rise. After that, we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, encourage one another with these words. Yeah, it just amazes me that this incredible, profound mystery is tucked away in, in a wedding. It's absolutely amazing. So the message is clear, isn't it, guys? Be ready. And I think uh, <laughs> with what's going on in the world, we need, we need to be ready. We need to keep our eyes on Jesus. We really do. And have enough oil. Now, what's the oil reference? It's the Holy Spirit, isn't it? The Holy Spirit operating in your life. Really soak yourself in, in the Holy Spirit. As in the case of the ten virgins, the father intends to find a pure bride for his son. Yeah, all of what I've just shared. This, it's beautiful evidence that Jesus will return for us, his church, as promised, as he promised. I think I got through that a lot quicker than I <laughs> expected, but I'm just going to pray. Thank you, Lord, for your word and your revelation. Lord, help us to keep our eyes upon you all the time. Help us to keep sharing our testimony, for faith com comes by hearing and hearing by the word of God. Lord, pour out your blessing on all those present and all those who love you. Thank you and praise you, Lord. Amen. Just a little bit more, because I've, I've got a little bit of time. Thought I'd write a couple more uh, things down. Um, could you put Matthew eight sixteen up for me, please, Nick? When the evening had come, they brought to him many who were demon possessed, and he cast out the spirits with a word. And he healed all who were sick. Now I know it said there, it's said it somewhere, but he healed them all. So that's that's where it says it. He healed all who were sick. Everybody who's sick. So if there's anybody here who's sick today, I believe. Yeah, Jesus is here. He's, he lives in every single one of us. We can lay on lay hands on each other. We've been told, go, heal the sick cleanse the lepers, cast out demons, raise the dead. We've all, got, we've all got the Holy Spirit in us. We can pray for each other and see healing, not just me. <laughs> so please, if, you are, if you've got any sickness in your body today, don't go out through that door before you're prayed for by somebody. Okay. And if you're unclear that Jesus doesn't doesn't live in you, Nick, can you put up um, John fourteen twenty three, please? Jesus 
Jesus answered and said to him, if anybody loves me, he will keep my, he will keep my word and my father will love him and we will come to him and make our home with him. Now, I, I live from that. And that, yeah, that, I really live from that. So, uh, just know that he lives in you. And you. If you love him, he lives in you. Okay, amen. I'll, I'll tell you a quick testimony. I was out walking uh, the dogs, as I, as I, as I tend to with uh, my wife over uh, Kinderage yesterday. And I'm always on the lookout to pray for somebody, as you're probably aware. <laughs> and uh, I saw a guy with a stick, and he was he was struggling. So I came up to him. I said, "Excuse me, sir, are you in a little bit of pain?" He goes, "Yeah," um, look, looking a bit quizzical. So I quickly tell him, "Well, I'm only asking because I pray for lots of people, and and they usually get healed instantly. So uh, would you let me pray for you?" And uh, he, he says. Oh, I've got, I've got to have a new hip. I said, well, you can have one now. <laughs> and uh, I said, where's, where's, your, where's your pain? And he, he points somewhere about there on his, on his left leg, I think it was. And uh, allows me to put my hand there. I always ask, I, don't, I never assume. And he's got his daughter, daughter with him. And they tell me that they used to go to church, um, but hadn't been going. I said, so I, I pray, and uh, apparently when I quizzed him later, his, his pain was 10 out of 10. It was, it was uh, very painful, and it came down by 50% after one prayer. So he, he seemed quite happy with that, but I said, no, <laughs> you're not, you're not go walking away with any pain. So I prayed again, and I quizzed him, and all his pain had gone. It was just absolutely wonderful, absolutely wonderful. And then he proceeded to tell me that his daughter had been confirmed by the uh, Archbishop, is it Carey? Bishop, Bishop of Canterbury? I think he, I don't know whether he still is the Bishop of Canterbury or whether he was. Uh, I, just, I wasn't really that impressed with that, really, to be honest. <laughs> I said, you need to have the Holy Spirit. That's, that's the main thing. And, uh, yeah, so I, I think I prayed, prayed, prayed for them both and... Uh, off they went. But, uh, um, last last weekend, I was out in Shrewsbury um, doing healing on the streets with a, with a friend of mine called Mike Mike Harris, who does uh, street street preaching with uh, with our artwork. Um, and I think because we we started with praise and worship on the streets there, we've done it before, but somebody had this. A specific word about a specific song and we sang it, I can't remember who it was now but the presence of God just fell and somebody tried to say no to me <laughs> receiving prayer but uh, I didn't, I just let her go and sit down and relax first and then I went and had more of a chat with her, I was able to pray for her and she, she got some relief but every, I, I prayed for so many different people and it was just so easy whereas in the uh, in the months beforehand, because we only do it once a month, um, it was no, 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 after one after the other after the other, and it was getting quite, yeah, yeah. It does get to you when people say no, but that particular that particular Saturday, last Saturday, was just wonderful. It was just one person 
to another to another and they were all willing to receive prayer and I'd say 90% were, were healed all had some some healing it was just yeah, absolutely wonderful and I had fun doing it as well which is amazing anyway thank you for listening to me ramble on um, I'll pass you back to Tim bless you